0: up, I used to love reading Aesop's Fables. Anybody ever hear of Aesop? Aesop's Fables? And this is one of my favorite ones. I don't know why, but it was so, it just made such an impact on me. And uh, it goes like this. That good from bad men rarely know, this apologue may serve to show. A stag upon a fountain side beheld his branching horns with pride, while of his spindle shanks ashamed, their disproportioned frame he blamed. Suddenly he hears the hunter's cries, and to the forest. He nimbly flies. The woods receive their well-known guest. His tangled horns. His feet arrest. The hounds approach and seize their prey. Who dying thus was heard to say. O wretch that I am. Too late I learn how little we the truth discern. What would have saved me. I despised and what has been my ruin prized. Last week, Pastor Terence did a fantastic job helping us to understand some of the darkest hours in David's history. Here we have been learning about David all throughout, throughout the, the weeks. We've been doing this for, for over nine weeks now. This is our last sermon on the life of David. Throughout this time, throughout this adventure, throughout this journey, we have learned so much about David and who he was and what a great man he was. He was known as the man after God's own heart. You could tell that he was the perfect renaissance man. I mean, he was a warrior. He was a statesman. He was a, a musician. He was a poet. I mean, he, he could do anything, this guy. And then when he finally reached the pinnacle of his career, the pinnacle of his moment that he had been promised for after running away for so long, he, he's there now and he's doing his thing, and then we know what happens, don't we, on the roof of the house. And that begins the tumbling down. We learned about Bathsheba and we learned about what happened there. We learned learned about the fact that although David had caused, caused this one to die and this had committed adultery and had done all these things, God went there and forgave him. We talked about forgiveness. But we learned last week that the echoes of our failures will ring in our ears for a long, long time. Although God forgives us, we are constantly haunted by the ramifications of the things that we do. And one of those big ramifications that, de- that uh, Pastor Terrence talked about last week was his son Absalom falling into the same trap. Yes, he was coerced. He was talked into it, but he, ha- he hated his, his father. And one of the things that uh, you know Nancy and I have talked about some of these stories, I, I love her perspective. One of her perspectives on this story is, Think about how many times David would not or could not pay attention to Absalom. Think how many sons and daughters have been trying so hard to get dad's attentions. And because dad doesn't give them attention because of shame or guilt or whatever it is, think about. What it did to Absalom. And David knew it inside. He owned it. That's why he struggled with it. For the rest of his life. That's why he had so much shame and so much guilt. But don't ever underestimate the power of shame and guilt. If God says, I forgive you, that means what? I forgive you. But we as humans, we just are so susceptible to the enemy's desire to give us this shame and this guilt. And it's just unbelievable and it got to the point where Absalom's rebellion had gotten too far and David has to do something about it he has to put an end to it and he tells his commanders if you see Absalom when you go out to, to war with him be this is where his words be gentle with him because he is still my son after all that Absalom did. we we heard about it last week be gentle with him Let me uh, read you these moments of Absalom's last moments. So the battle began in the forest of Ephraim. And the Israelite troops were beaten back by David's men. There was a great slaughter that day and 20,000 men. 20,000 men lay down their lives you want to talk about the cost of sin even forgiven sin yeah the nail is gone but the hole is there and sometimes that hole keeps echoing especially if we allowed shame and guilt to possess us And then it says these words, and I just thought this was so interesting. It says, the battle raged all across the country, and more men died because of the forest than were killed by the sword. More men died because of the forest than were killed. I'm sorry, in my mind, I have like Lord of the Rings, you know, the trees. I'm sorry. It's just. It's just my mind, the way my mind works, man, the trees. And, no, that's, I don't think that's what happened. I think there, there were so many branches and so many, it was such a thick forest. that as people were running around and doing things. They were getting caught by them. Limbs were, were killing them. I mean, it was just unbelievable. In fact, listen to this. It says, during the battle, Absalom happened to come upon some of David's men. So he tried to escape on his mule. Maybe a horse would have helped, I don't know. But as he rode beneath the thick branches of a great tree, his hair got caught in the tree. And immediately, the first time I read this, I could not help but think about Aesop's fable. Remember, Pastor Terence told us about his hair and what a GQ kind of a guy Absalom was. And yet that hair ends up being What catches it? His mule kept going and left them dangling in the air. Never underestimate the power of shame and guilt that rendered David powerless, indecisive, flickering for the rest of his reign up and down and when he hears the news he just cries and mourns Absalom, Absalom. Absalom, my son. And the sting of this episode in David's history would disturb him for the rest of his time as king. The ensuing chapters were filled with ups and downs and roller coaster rides and Defeats and victories all the way to the rest of David's life. And then we come to this point. It says, King David was now very old. And I always thought this was interesting, that the Bible gets this personal. And no matter how many blankets covered him, he could not keep warm. I don't know about you, but that does something to me because that tells me that as we talk about this renaissance man, as we think about this giant killer, as we talk, he is at the end of his days and he is so human, isn't he? Have you ever been so cold, have you ever had a fever that there was just not enough blankets to cover you? Have you ever experienced that? Do you know what I'm talking about? See, I think the author of this book said, I want you to feel that for a moment because that's... What David, he wasn't that old really compared to his contemporaries. He could have lived another 20 years easily, but he was war torn and, he, and he, he was tired and everything had just been up upon him. He accepted God's forgiveness, but it kept bothering him. And the stress and the anxiety of it all, the battles that he fought even afterwards. The ones he lost and the ones he won, it didn't matter. It took a toll on his life and now he is dying. I think it is here that he writes Psalm 23. This is the psalm everybody knows. And there is all kinds of uh, theologians trying to figure out when was this psalm written. At first they thought well, maybe he did it when he was a boy, but, but as they study the language, they know there's too many experiences here that he's referring to that it couldn't be as a boy, and maybe he did it while he was on the run. No, no, it couldn't have been on the run because there's some things about what he says here that says that no, it was later than that, and, and as theologians, I, I believe, I, I'm with the heart of some of the theologians that believe that this was the time towards the end of his life, that he, ri- he writes about Psalm 23. He finally gets it. The Lord is what? No, no, I want you to emphasize the word my. See, I don't care if he's yours or not, but the Lord is my shepherd. Just so you know that. I love the personal aspect of it. The Lord is my shepherd. What David was saying is, God, you are my Savior. I shall not want. God, you are my supply. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. God, you are my rest. He leads me beside still waters. God, you are my refreshment. He restores my soul. God, you are my healing. He leads me in the path of righteousness. God, you are my righteousness. So I think he finally got it there at the end of his life. For his name's sake, God, you are my purpose. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God, you are my adventure. I will fear no evil. God, you are my assurance. For you are with me. God, you are my faithful God. You are rod and your staff. They comfort me. God, you are my comforter. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. God, you are my hope. You anoint my head with oil. God, you are my leader. My cup runs it over. God, you are my abundance. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. God, you are my confidence. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord, that God I am sure of forever. God, you are my eternity. He got it, didn't he? He got it. I love that. I love that. David had always dreamed about this relationship with God. He had always, this is why he was called a man after God's own heart. What I love about this story this that we've been going through for the past few weeks is that this is, this is a man just like us. He just cared, and he loved, and he made mistakes, just like we care, and we love, and we make mistakes. He blew it several times, just like we blow it several times. And yet it did not, it did not deter him. It did not in any way at all compromise the tenacity that he had to follow Jesus Christ, to follow his king. And for always, he said, I will be king as long as God is our king. I love that. I love that. Now, we talked about him recovering the ark. Remember that? Being crowned and dancing. Do you remember that? We talked about David being an amazing heart worshiper. I believe God longs for us all to worship from the deep crevices of our hearts. I think we've been so numbed by this world. But all his life, you know, sometimes dreams don't come true. All his life, David had a dream. He was going to build a temple to house the Ark of the Covenant one that would not have to be moved the tents. Now Jerusalem was there. he, he, He had brought the capital there, and he said, Listen, we must, we must build a temple. And he decided that this dream was so big that he wanted to do it just right. He planned and planned and planned. And then one day God showed up and said, you're not going to do it. You are a warrior. You have seen too much battle. You have seen too much blood. Someone else will need to build my temple. But what about all my plans? (laughs) about all the blueprints what about everything someone else now as, I, I hope you've had some time to read through first and second Samuel even first Kings and, and and some of Chronicles I mean there's some amazing stuff in there uh, obviously nine weeks is not enough to talk about somebody's full lifetime but in it all David did the best he could follow and serve God in fact there's more turmoil with other sons and finally he chooses King Solomon or Solomon to be the next king to follow him and Solomon was Bathsheba's surviving son so uh, this is what he says to Solomon and you my son Solomon, accept the God of your fathers. See, we believe in this tremendously. This is the way we ought to be guiding people to Jesus. Just accept them. Serve him completely and willingly. Completely and what? Willingly. willingly. Because the Lord knows what is in everyone's mind, David says. Listen, I just, just trust me on this one. I'm just saying, man, I've, I've had this happen to me. He understands everything you think. And if you got him, if you go to him for help, you will get an answer. I know this. But if you turn away from him, he will leave you forever. I've seen it happen with King Saul. Solomon, Solomon, you must understand this. The Lord, the Lord, not me, the Lord has chosen you to build the temple as his holy place. Be strong and finish the job. He's like a daddy right here, isn't he, man? He's like, come on now, Solomon. You get the. There's no bitterness. There's no resentment. He's like, Solomon, you got to build this temple. I'm not going to get to do it. I'm not even going to get to see it, but it's been my dream, and I'm passing on the torch. I'm passing on the dream to you. So Solomon does just that. And if we were going to do a series on Solomon, that would be a lot of fun too. But we are not going to do a series on Solomon right now. But Solomon does just that. And Solomon has his own challenges. And you know a little bit about this. But he is known as the wisest man that ever lived because of his connection with the Father. Because instead of asking for wealth, he asked for wisdom. And God gave it to him. Just like David said, if you ask for it, God's going to take care of it. Just stay close to him. No matter what. Now, time goes by, and one son gets another son, and another son, and another son, and guess what? One day it happens. One day it goes full back around, where the king of the universe, the real true king of kings, is born. And what's really interesting is is if you look I'm going to keep this on just for a little bit. (coughs) If anybody would like this, I'd love to get it for you. But this is really interesting. He was a descendant of King David, of course, right? And he was a descendant both from Mary's side and from uh, uh, Joseph's side, who was not even really his true dad. It's kind of an adopted dad, right? The Holy Spirit was a dad. But isn't that interesting, Right? So no matter how it k- fell out, came out, Jesus was going to be a descendant of David. You couldn't prove it otherwise. It's pretty awesome, right? In fact, uh, we are told that when Jesus is born, uh, we, you get this announcement. Like This is really interesting. It says, now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. You remember this? Come on, this is Christmas. You should know this, right? you got to figure out. There's got to be a way surges gonna tie-in Christmas in here. It's real easy, actually. With King David, it says, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. What is it about us? Every time God shows up in some way, we're afraid. And he's got to be like, Fear not. Don't be afraid. For behold... I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. I'm I'm bringing you great news, he says. For there is born to you this day in the city of who? David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in the ban- in a manger. Catch that. In the city of David. So just so you know, all throughout that history time, everybody always thought of Jerusalem as the city of David because that's where David held as the capital. That's where he, he found, ended up having the temple and the ark was there. They'll, but Luke says that the angels say that the city of David was what? Bethlehem. Why? Because in Bethlehem David was born. In Bethlehem, David was anointed. In Bethlehem, Jesus was born. In Bethlehem, the announcement came that David was the anointed one, the Messiah. Now it says this. I love this little little side note. It says, you'll find them in a manger. The shepherds don't even blink at that. Why is he in a manger? Do you remember the story? Remember the story, right? Right? Now, be, before I tell you a story, I want to tell you about a friend of mine. That's me. On the right. I'm just, just <laughs> I feel like sometimes I need to, and that's, uh, that's Willie. Some of you know I spent seven years working with special ed kids. This guy right here, I'll be telling you stories about this guy. He's one of my favorite. I like his sweat hogs. How many of you remember the Sweat Hogs? Come on, somebody, somebody raise your hand. All right, good. (laughs) Not that old, come on. (laughs) Yeah, and so uh, he and I are right there in the picture. He he would always, he he was one of the funniest kids I've ever met. I mean, just, there were things about Willie that you wouldn't believe. But but, uh, we had, at this one time, it was Christmas time, and uh, we had a Christmas play where we had all of our, young special ed students involved. And, man, we had to go over those lines over and over and over. And you have to kind of make it simple. You know what I'm saying? This can't be too difficult. In fact, sometimes I think they faked it because Willie was actually brilliant. But we had to be really careful to couch things in a very small way, simple way. And so the only line he had to say was, no, there is no room at the end. That's all. Like, come on, months, months, I'm telling you, he practiced. No, there's no room at the inn. No, I mean, I'd see him walk around. No, there's no room at the inn. And the play came, and it was great, man. We had a great time. And, you know, the kids did pretty good. You know, there's a couple of things that they said kind of weird, you know, and whatever, you know. And the moment came, you know, where it's, and he's been waiting for this moment, waiting for this, 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 this moment where he gets to speak, gets to say he's lying, and it's just a small little part. And they knock on the door. They knock again. <laughs> this is a big line of people, you know, and. He opens the door, he's going like this. And Joseph says, we need a place to stay. Now Joseph is also a little confused at this point, doesn't know where to go with it, so he repeats it. We need a place to stay. No, no room at the end. There is no place anywhere else. Can we stay here? No room at the end. And then Mary spoke. This was totally out of, we, we don't know what <laughs> happened. But there's parents there, everything. And she says, but sir, I'm pregnant with Child. And maybe it was this. I don't know. I don't know what it was. But that gave Willie excuse to be out of script. And he's going like this. And he goes, all right, come on. (laughs) Cut, cut. Oh, what are you doing? Why would you say that? We've been practicing for months. I'm going to tell you what it was. Nobody said cut. We just did it, you know. We just went with it. Everybody laughed just like you're laughing now. We just all went with it. Why? Because this was Willie. Of course this is what Willie's going to do. And you know what? Willie's got a big heart and he can't help himself. He, I think the reason why he struggled saying no is because he's never said no. He couldn't help himself because he had to. He had to let them in. And you want to talk about total bewilderment. There they are. Mary and Joseph have no clue what to do next now. <laughs> what about the manger, you know? <laughs> but you, Bethlehem Ephrata, though you are small among the clans, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient. This is in in, in Micah. This was the promise. When the wise kings went to to visit the the Herod and say, hey, where is he from? He says, let me find out. And he goes to his prophets, and his prophets are quoting this. Bethlehem? Why Bethlehem? It says it right there, why Bethlehem? See, he does that on purpose because it was small among the clans. Have you ever felt small among the clans? Five or six miles southwest was Jerusalem. That's just right there. I'm sorry, northeast. <laughs> yeah. There was Jerusalem right there. Why not there, right? Right? I don't understand this. It was in Bethlehem, this small little town amongst all the other towns. One that barely anybody knew except for the fact that David was born there. Except for the fact that David was born there. This was the city of David. This is where David was anointed. This is where the king of kings was going to be anointed. and In that place, because it was small, God chose it. Have you ever felt small? Because I want you to know right now, God is choosing you. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how small you think you are. It doesn't matter how little you think you, you, you are, how insignificant you are, how meaningless you are. You are not in the eyes of God. In fact, the smaller you think you are, the more God wants to use you. We talked about it in Sabbath school this morning. Humility. It's not thinking less of yourself, it's just thinking of yourself less. If you think you're bigger and big and big and you got all it all together and you got nothing to learn, I tell you what, you got something to learn. It's the ones that recognize that there are nothing. In fact, Paul addressed this in First Corinthians chapter one. Paul says, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Boy, that would sound like an insult anywhere else, right? Paul's pretty much saying you were stupid, right? As far as humans are concerned. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise do you believe that god chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong he chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one so that no one may boast before him therefore as it is written let him who boasts boast in the lord that's why david became king That's why Solomon became king after that. That's why Israel was chosen. You were the smallest. That's why Bethlehem was chosen. That's why God chose me. That's why God is choosing you. God doesn't choose you because you're extremely charismatic. God chooses you because he recognizes that you want to do something for God. Do not let the voices silence that in your mind. Do great things for God. God is waiting for you to do great things. Just move forward. You'll see. Things will happen. Oceans will part. Doors will open. It is amazing what happens when you move forward in the presence of God. God starts doing things. He just wants you to move forward. And the reason why, if you're sitting there saying, well, God doesn't do anything for me, it's because you've never moved forward in faith. And said, God, I, I don't know. I'm just going for it. I'm going to try for it. To embrace uncertainty and to say, God, I'm with you 100%. I am foolish. I am, I am not of noble birth. I am not influential. I'm, uh, I don't have any wisdom. I have all kinds of problems, Lord. But I tell you what, if you can use me, I'm all yours. I had lunch with a, an individual this week. You've seen him around. I don't want to say his name. I had such a good time talking with him. And he's just such a servant. He's gone through so much in his life. And he looked at me and said, Serge, I just want to be able to do, I don't know what's wrong with me, he said. I've never had this happen before. I just want to serve God. I'm telling people about Jesus. What is wrong with me, he said. That's called being born again. Amen. So we will finish with this. Peter is preaching. And as he's preaching, he says, "We all know David died and I was reduced to dust after what he served. Come on, say it with me. God's purpose in his generation after he served God's purpose in his generation and do you remember what he said in psalm 50 51 he said restore to me the joy of your salvation and i will do what i will serve my purpose in your generation i will tell everybody about you so how about you This is your generation. Are you serving God in your generation? Or are you allowing the world to kind of squeeze you into its mold? Do you think maybe you're just not significant enough or meaningful enough? There's no way on earth God could use you, God can use you. That I am sure of because he used me. And if you knew me when I was in high school, you'd be like, there's, not, there's no way that's the same guy. So we're celebrating Christmas. And what is Christmas about? Christmas is about Jesus coming to this earth. Christmas is about Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God is what? With us. Not even for us. Not. It's just God is with us. How cool is that? If you think you're too small, you are. But guess what? God is with you. And if God is with you, you can knock down a giant. You could do anything to live out God's purpose in your generation. And that is my prayer for you.